0: Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Natalie. Yeah, as Natalie prayed, this is our last week of why Jesus. If you could ask one question over a cup of coffee of Jesus, what would that be? And we uh, tried to really think about, I mean, there's a lot more questions that we could have asked, um, but we tried to focus in what we thought was the, the really pertinent questions. Uh, to, to dial in and, and also, as, as Natalie so eloquently prayed about, is we felt like that the questions surrounding identity was worthwhile to think about, to, to ask, and, and to wrestle with. Whether we realize it or not, there's many, many statements that are happening in news and social media that are related to this idea of identity. So there's, a, there's a, a, a racial identity, whether you're Jewish or Palestinian, whether you're black or white, Asian or Hispanic. Part of the discussion in our culture is how profound is that? How much does that shape and move? How does that direct us? How important to that? You have a lot of questions surrounding the idea of our gender, and, and people coming and saying, we're wrestling with our, our identity in terms of gender, and are we transitioning to a, a different gender, it relates to our, our sexual identity, all these things, we've, we've got questions that are happening in our culture, and then you've got other elements that don't really make the news necessarily, but are important parts of our identity. Uh, our relationships are a profound part of our, whether I'm married or, or single, husband, wife, son or daughter, all of that, we get our sense of identity. Sometimes our career and our profession. And if we lose that Career, we can go through that sense of, of, of uh, identity crisis that can be there. I wanted to share a little bit more personally this morning in talking about identity because there was a, a moment in my life that I don't know if I would say I had an identity crisis necessarily, but there were, there were cornerstones of my identity that were really rocked. This was in 2008 when first wife, the mother of my kids, that she took the kids from Colorado with an intention not to return. And some of you know that story. Some of you, many of you, prayed with me and walked with me through that process, but this was a a long process. And there were core elements, part of what made it so difficult, was there a core elements of my sense of who I am that were shaken? Just being married, I liked being married, and that to see that challenged and wrestle and really crumbling outside of my power was rocking my identity, moving into singleness. Loved being a father, an engaged dad and walking with my kids been one of the joys of my life. And now, living in another state, I felt like I was losing a a part of me in that moment. And I'd also say, career-wise, just assumed that I would probably step away from ministry, at least for a time, or be asked to step away. So these were core elements in my a sense of who I am that were, we're rocked and, and challenged and, and felt like in flux. If in 2008, in that moment, if I got to ask one question of Jesus, perhaps one of those core things is like, Jesus, what do I do now? I, I, I'm not quite sure who I am now. What's happening now? Where do I go now? And I've wondered what Jesus would say. I think in his kindness, he would affirm many elements of our identity that are, are good and right in us. But I also wonder if he would do this. I wonder if above all the things that he would say, that that he would say, I want you to be mindful of all these difficulties and struggles and questions that you're having, no matter where they are in terms of relationship to who you are and your identity. I want to focus in on the core, the center of who you are in Christ. And that's what I feel led for us to do in this final week of the series is that we would really ask that question as Christians, as children of God, how would Jesus articulate the center of our identity and allow all other questions and struggles to flow from that center And I want to do that by looking at a a very familiar parable to many of you. Many of you, this is your your favorite parable. It's found in Luke 15. If you have brought your Bibles, would you turn with me there? And we're going to read this in part. We're going to look at um, the prodigal son. And what I'd like us to do is is have fresh eyes, approach this, this parable with fresh eyes, especially through a lens of identity. We want to look at the identity a little bit of the younger son, the identity of the older son, and the identity of the father. Okay? We're going to start in verse 11 and we're going to read parts of the parable. We're going to go through uh, verse 11 through uh, 20 and we'll pause there. So Luke 15, verse 11 reads, Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me half of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything there, there was a famine, a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to the citizen of that country, who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Verse 17. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am not no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. Let's pause there for just a, a moment and, and look at a little bit of the identity of the, the youngest son. Certainly he had elements of his relationship with his father. He derived from some of his identity, his family, his, his, his older brother, uh, wealth. Uh, Apparently, they were a a wealthy family. He had an estate, was able to take that uh, estate. And I think there's a a career and calling element to the younger son, like his uh, what a natural calling would have been to work the estate, to be a part of his family estate and do the family business probably a cultural identity that's intimated by Jesus. When he goes off and he's sent to feed the pigs, he was probably in a Gentile culture. So he left the Jewish culture and entered into a culture that pigs weren't kosher, right? And then maybe a little bit of a personality identity, right? He could have been the faithful son, but he longed to be the lamp on the shade, Kind of life of the party, right? Wild living, and let's blow the wealth and and do that, some of that. I would also say there's a final aspect of his identity that sometimes we do this. Did you notice that he identified now with his sin? He returns back to the Father, and he prepares this sentence of repentance. And what does he say? Well, he's prepared to say, Father, I'm no longer worthy. That his sin has changed or challenged in his mind his identity. He moved from son of his father to sinner and therefore, hopefully, a servant, just a hired hand. I get it, Father, I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy to live as your son anymore, but, but could I live as a servant in your house? You see that son's sense of his core of who he is changing from son to servant. And I want us to understand a little bit more deeply the rebellion of the son that Jesus was representing. That this wasn't just a, a son who had different ideas about his career, different than what his father wanted his career. No, no, no. This was a much deeper rebellion that oftentimes Some of us go through, and I think I want us to to see, remember it's helpful to recognize the people in the parables that Jesus gives. And who does the father represent in the parable? It It represents God, right? And so by this younger son going, Dad, give me mine, see ya. What the original audience would have understood and what Jesus would want us to understand is this rebellion was a rebellion against God. He's saying, I don't want to live with you. I don't want to do life your way. I don't want to live in your house and be the faithful son my way. I think one of the things that we often miss as Christian is the deep sense of calling and identity that God places on each and every one of us. That, that the Lord, he doesn't just have this sense of calling as a group of people or as a church or as a family, but that he knows and has a sense of purpose and identity and calling for each and every one of us. There's two passages in the Old Testament that are really powerful and telling. The first is this, is in in Psalm 139, we'll just read a portion of this beautiful psalm, is that he communicates, this is David praying back to God and recognizing the intimate way in which... God knit him together. Personalize these words. This is David praying back to God. For you, God, created my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's r- womb. I praise you because I am fearfully. That, that word also means reverently, with respect and honor, that you were knit together with this reverence, with this respect and honor in your mother's womb. Fearfully and wonderfully made. This idea of marvelous as well. You were made with honor and respect but also marvelously you were put together. Look at your neighbor and go, you are marvelous. In that way. Yes. I know it's hard to believe a little bit when you look, depending on who you're sitting next to. But, but there is this reverence, and there is this wonderful way in which God knew you and loved you and knit you together. Your works, David said, are wonderful, and we're part of his works. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't happenstance. God saw you and and knew you and delighted in knitting you together. I was made in the secret place when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. There's a mystery there, right? The... The the soul, when it was there, our hearts and emotions, our, our will and thought, God saw it and recognized it and delighted in that. How amazing is that? All the days, your eyes saw my unformed body, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Do you think David was an accident? Do you think you were an accident? Do you think you were formed by happenstance? No way. Not according to God. See, David is recognizing God as creator and author of His life. In fact, I love when Peter is preaching the gospel. This is Acts 3.15. And he says, he says how ironic. You killed, to the people of that generation, you killed the author of life. But God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. God desires that we would know him not only as our author, that, that he intentioned, he knew us before our body was even being formed, but that we would also know him as creator and author of our lives. We'll, we'll come back to this idea. But that his plans and purposes, that in that secret place, he was like gifts and calling and personality and longings of the heart, he filled us with all those things. And when we live into those gifts and callings and our personality, we honor and glorify him. There's another neat passage. This is from the New Testament, actually. It's from Acts, and and Paul is speaking to the philosophers in Athens. They're not Christians, and he's trying to lay a foundation for the gospel. And he says this, For one man, Adam, he made all of the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth and marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. Think about that for a moment. Personalize that. That God, he not only knew us and knit us together in that secret place, but he's like, you know what? Here's the time in which Jerry is going to live. Here's the land in which I'm going to place her to live. I'm going to give her these gifts and these callings, and I'm going to place her right here for this time in this moment to live right now. Amen. Isn't that awesome? Now, he's going to also get into a foundational purpose that every single person born in every generation, in every geographical time, there is a key purpose that Paul is going to get into. And he says this, continue reading. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him. And find him, though he's not far from any of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. You see, he's saying it doesn't matter if Jerry is alive today, or if she would have been born a generation before or after or whatever it doesn't matter what matters is is that every human being in every generation of this world was born for the sole purpose that we might reach out for our creator that we might seek him and the promise of scripture is that we will we will find him and then we will live the lives that he knit together for us and honor and glorify him. Now, it's important to note that he made us in his image. So we don't get to choose whether he is the creator and author of our lives. But we get to choose whether to follow the life he's ordained for us. See, we, we are the Pinocchio after the magic happens, right? We're, you know, if God's Geppetto, we're, we're not the pre-magic. We don't have the strings. We're not the puppets, right? He's not, I'm going to cause you to do that. Jerry, I'll, I'll do this and that and this and that. No, magic happens And Jerry has free will. And he's longing for us to reach out and say, yes, God, you're my creator. Yes, God, you're my author. Yes, God, you've given all these desires in my heart. You've given me these gifts and abilities and talents, and I want to live for you. Now let's return to the younger son if the father is God and we potentially are the younger son, we say, no, I don't want to live in your house. I want to do it my way. I've got dreams, don't you know? I can do it my way. Now let's continue on and read together. Focus in on the son, or on the father here. We're picking up in verse 20. But while he, the younger son, the one in rebellion, was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. Remember the repentance speech he had prepared? I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But but the father said, To his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and found and is found. So they began to celebrate. I think the core of... The, one of the primary reasons that Jesus tells this parable relates to the identity of the Father. He's telling this parable to the very religious, and to the very lost, the grand scale, and, and both of them, the religious leaders and those who are lost, probably anticipated, boy, when that son goes home back, yeeks, yowzers, yeah, there's going to be some truth telling. There's going to be some justice. They're going to some punishment, and how do you, and will he take? That's the question. That's the tension of the parable. Will the father, the son, rebel? Will he even take him back as a hired hand? And Jesus turns the table, doesn't he? He starts piling on. You see the the sandals and the ring and the robe and the they were like, what? It piling on. He's saying, don't you see? It's the love of the Father. Yes, he's a God of righteousness and justice. And yet those just r- righteous requirements were fulfilled on the cross. So now when we turn to him in our rebellion, it's all grace. It's the love of God. And if he would have said, he he didn't even, I love one of my favorite parts is through the parable, he doesn't even let the son get through his repentance speech, right? He cuts him off. I'm pretty sure there's a, what? What are you talking about, a servant? No, you're my son. I love you. That never changes. Nothing, Paul says, nothing in heaven and earth can separate you from this love of God. That's core, that's center. Never let go. No matter how far you've wandered, this is who you are. Amen. And he welcomes him into his home once again. I believe one of the first ways, there's a, a book I, I love, the, the Way Back to You. And this author is arguing that we've lost that sense of the love of God being the, the center of our identity. And if we want to recover truly who we are, then our first step is to recognize God's love as our center. Recognize what, what a lot of contemplatives will call this is the false self and the true self. Is that we identify ourselves sometimes on, on all these things, they can be good or bad, but, but sometimes there's a sense that we get this false sense of identity. It, it's rooted in our sin or our brokenness or our experience, and we live from that place of our false self. Part of spiritual formation, part of spiritual um, a transformation is recognizing the true life, the life that God planned for you, the, the living in the gifts and the calling, all of that God knit you together with. That's the true self. I, I say this to my kids All the time. There's a a broken you. And there's an in Christ you. And God is longing, inviting again and again for you to live as the in Christ you. Paul says this about the love of God. Ephesians 2, 4, and 5 but because of his great love for us. Because of the love of the Father, God was rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. He gave us that, that true life in Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, that younger son was dead in his transgressions. He says, I love you. Come in. It is by grace you have been saved. That's the first step. The first step is recognizing that. And the second step, like the younger son, is turning back towards home. Back towards that true sense of God as our author, God as our creator. Now, it's worthwhile to note that the younger son's return home wasn't just a, I'm sorry, dad. It was a decision to live in his father's house again. Repentance, the, the, the meaning of repentance is this 180 turn the other direction. This isn't simply... I'm sorry I ran out of money, can you help? This was, Dad, I want to live in your house. I want to do it your way. I want to honor you. It was a a claim. I think in part, that's why Jesus equates love and obedience. This isn't a simple, I'm sorry, this is God's. I'll love you this way, the way that I understand you've revealed. This is John 14, 23. Anyone who loves me, Jesus says, will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. I was processing with a young adult. This young adult, he was wrestling with his sexuality we had enough relational capital that he was being authentic and real and was allowing me to, to give back thoughts and reflections. And we're in the midst of him talking about sexuality and, and, and who he is sexually. And just in the middle, just uh, I said, well, what does God have to say about this discussion? And you know, even though this young adult was a Christian and articulated himself as a Christian, he hadn't quite made that jump yet. And when I later reflected on that, I thought, you know, that's because oftentimes in our culture, not always, but oftentimes when we're wrestling with senses of identity, we're not asking God as my author, what do you say? As Christians, we need, regardless of what level of identity or question, God, if you're my author, if you knit me together, if you have that that good life, that life that is thriving, that true self, yeah, what do you say about this? I was talking with a friend. You know, I've shared this friend. It's a couple actually, who entered um, white collar crime, and they. Um, entered uh, separate uh, federal state penitentiaries And, and the wife was saying, she said, boy, you know, when I stepped into that prison, I had to figure out who I was in this horrible place. She was saying all the core aspects of identity were stripped away almost in that moment. She wasn't free anymore he was a convicted felon couldn't see kids or grandkids or, or parents couldn't live the career who was she in that place and then when she got out she had to do that again who am I now and praise God in her circumstance in that place, she leaned heavy into Jesus. She allowed the love of God to be your center and to ask all of those questions. One other conversation a long time ago with a missionary, it was a missionary conference and I was praying about the call that God had on my life and, and uh, there was a First Nations missionary, Native American Indians, and and uh, I was talking with him, and he said, you know, I was a little afraid to give God the reins of my life because I was like, God, I, I really don't want to go to some remote area away from my family, and that's, he said, I discovered as I slowly gave this to God that he had placed these desires in my heart. He He brought up the Psalm 37, 4, take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. So it's not like if you turn your reins over to God, bam, you're you're out. We're you know, the, the farthest Alaska, right? That the wherever that is. Oh, we have an elder from Alaska. Now, Alaska's a great, beautiful place, right? But he's placed those desires and longings in your heart. He's not want to. Wanting is a, a dictator, so you do, I don't care if you don't want it, you go. No, that's not the father he is. The father he is, is, don't you know I love you? Don't you know I gave you those desires? Don't you know I gave those gifts to you, those talents and abilities that you've been working on? I delighted when I knit you together in your mother's womb. That's the Father that He is to us. We pursue our identity, our calling, and purposes, knowing that this Father, this loving Father, His love for us, even in those moments of disappointment, even in those moments of rebellion, even in those moments that we perhaps and said, I don't care, God, I'm doing this. He says, I love you. Never forget. Now there's one more person in the story that I want us to to finish on is the older son. Can we ask the questions of identity of the older son? Picking it up at verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field when he came near the house He heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come home, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. You can kind of feel his blood starting to boil. So his father went out and pleaded with him, But he, the older son, answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You have never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home You kill the fattened calf for him. It's wrong. Father says, my son, you always are with me, and everything I have is yours. Well, we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is now found. How do we understand the older brother's response and the father's response to the older brother? Well, first is this what about the identity of the older brother? How did he see himself first and foremost? Slave, that's exactly right. He was the son of the father. He's living there, and yet he describes his life for the father. I've been slaving for you. He saw himself as a servant or a slave, right? And then how did he see his brother? He couldn't even call him his brother. Do you notice that? He's like, this son of yours. Yeah? And then he brings up his sin. He sees his brother as according to his sin, right? And he says, You, you didn't even give me a, a calf with my friends. I mean, did he really have friends? I don't know. He's a little sourpuss but let's grant him that, right? Right? So he's seeing through this lens of sin, if we're honest. Don't we see others through the lens of their sin? Aren't we often the older son? That that maybe we've gotten this idea that the, the love of God is the center of who we are. But I believe that Jesus would say that's not enough. You need to see others even in their rebellion, even in their brokenness, even in their struggle, that the center of their identity is the love of the Father. They don't get it yet. They don't understand. They're certainly not going to get it if we respond to them as the older brother is responding to his brother. Yes? But perhaps if we not only see the love of God as the center of our identity, but if we live as the Father did to those who are still in that distant land, who haven't come to their senses yet, who don't understand the love of God, perhaps if we respond with the loving kindness of the Father, that would draw them Deshaun was a perfect picture of the joy he had of his twin coming back to the Lord. That a beautiful picture, beautiful picture. I'll leave you with this. Another favorite part of the parable is that it ends with an open invitation. Jesus ends the parable with the father and the older brother outside of the party. Did the older brother go in? We don't know. He left it open. Are you going to go in? I don't know. I'm going. I like parties. I'm going in. I'm celebrating, I'm pursuing, I'm sharing the love of God. I want to recognize all of those identity issues that I have. I'm going to center them on the love of God. And for everyone else, I'm going to do my darndest to do the same thing. Regardless of what level of awareness or rebellion, what they're doing Jesus said, after all, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies. Doesn't matter if it's an annoying neighbor. Doesn't matter if it's someone on social media with different political views as you. It doesn't doesn't matter if it's someone who's hurt you. He's saying, love your enemy and pray for them. How beautiful would this world be if we began to center our lives in our relationships with one another on the love of God. Let's pray. So Father, it's overwhelming to think that you know each and every one of us so intimately it's incredible to think that you knit us together in your in the the womb of our moms that that you gifted us you blessed us you graced us with all these things lord lord would you help us to to live in your house in this life. Would you help us to discern your voice and and recognize this, this life of goodness and grace, this life rooted in love, this life that's true life. Would you help us to live it for your honor and praise? In your name we pray, amen.